going to be studying verses 1 through 11 this morning. Welcome to those of you who are here and to those of you who are online. Whether we are together or separated, it's the Lord's day, so it's a good day. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Philippians, um, we're going to start a series, Lord willing, here through the spring in the book of Philippians. Um, It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church, a group of Christians who were living in the Roman colony of Philippi, which is located in the northeast part of modern Greece. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. I'll I'll read this and then we'll pray. Before I read, I I want you just... Real important, I think, this is a longer text here, and it's a kind of a complex argument. So let's, let's uh, follow along here and, 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 and have, that, have your Bible open. It should also be on the screen as we go through. But I want to note really quickly some sections in this passage. So first, in one, verses 1 through 2, is a greeting to the Christians, the holy ones, the saints, um, in, in Philippi with, their, with the established leaders. And then in the remainder of the passage, verses 3 through 11, is a prayer. And it's a two-part prayer. Verses 3 through 8 is a prayer of thanksgiving that Paul is giving to God. And verses 9 through 11 is a prayer of petition or a request. Thanks and request, right? So verses 3 through 8, thanking God for the things that he has seen and heard um, about the Philippians And then verses 9 through 11, Paul is asking God to continue something. He's asking God to do something into the future, um, something that isn't seen yet. And so just note that as as we read here. So the word of God says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure that of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, nothing is impossible for you. You are able to do more than we can even imagine. And so even in this morning, this moment, 
I ask that you would give us such a display of the love and work of Jesus that we that we would be to one another the kind of people toward one another that the Philippian church was toward Paul and, and Paul toward them. May we love with the love with which we have been and are being loved by Jesus. May we have that type of love for one another and affection. And may we work together as partners, as ones working together to make Christ known in this town and wherever you put us. And may it all be to your glory, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. How often do you wake up and feel that you are successful, or feel, you know, fulfilled, satisfied? Um, I can attest personally that sometimes my feelings, and I'm going to assume you too, your feelings, our feelings, don't always align with reality. Of, of the reality of who we are in Christ by faith alone, is, it can be sometimes not something that's seen, not something that's felt. You may, you, in, in that moment, you might think you're the only person in the world that has those feelings. For example, when we read this passage, which is overwhelmingly encouraging, should be overwhelmingly encouraging, you might think, how could anyone be that thankful, that joyful, that affectionate, that confident about me? Paul is talking to another group of people, Christians in Philippi, and they're probably another, on another level than I'm at. They've got something figured out that I don't. Sure, the reality is that they are a lot more like you and me in their experience than most other Christians in the New Testament. They, they never saw Jesus these, these people in Philippi. They lived 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. They never saw Jesus. They only had an encounter with, with Paul. And, and also like you, and, so, and, and I've never seen Jesus. So they're a lot more like me than, than I might think. And, and, and they're also, another thing about them is most of them, most likely, they didn't grow up in a context um, that would have been familiar with Judaism from which Jesus came. If you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus came to his own, and the most, you know, the first the, the disciples and the first Christians, they were Jewish people. And so when Paul went on his missionary journeys, it was most common for uh, Paul to speak and preach the Gospel in synagogues. He would go to these towns, even though they're in Roman, you know, Roman-occupied empire, they would go to the synagogues first, um, and Philippi is one of the only places where there's no record of a synagogue there. They actually had, where they, when they shared the gospel in Acts, I believe it's Acts 16, um, they actually had to go to the river. So there's a good chance that there weren't really many Jews. There was no synagogue established as far as we know. 
So speaking from a human perspective, these people weren't like the Jews who would have the familiarity with the Old Testament like the first followers of Christ did. They wouldn't have seen the prophecies that told of a coming Savior and then Jesus stepped in and said, I'm that. They didn't have any of that experience and and we don't either. Most of the people in Philippi probably didn't have that background. So they're a lot more like you and me than than you may think. And also the reality is, just to bring it down to earth, the, the Philippians were pretty simple, pretty ordinary Christians. They were not super Christians, and throughout the letter, they're not described as perfect people. They struggled with sins, and they struggled in the same sin-filled world as you and I do. Different time, different technology, same sin struggle, same flesh, same sin-filled world. They struggled with fear and pride and disunity. They struggled to remember who Jesus was sometimes. They had to be reminded. They struggled under persecution. Sometimes they could grumble. They had false teachers on their social media telling them a different way to, to, to understand who Jesus is, add a little law, add a little law on top of trusting Jesus, and then you can have confidence. If you follow the law, you'll have confidence in Christ. Sometimes they disagreed with one another. Sometimes they had bouts with despair. And sometimes, I, just based on this letter, they, 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 they struggled to have peace. They, they, they thought God might be far off. Or had, had struggles with that. So if you don't always feel like a successful Christian, I don't think you're alone. I'm, I've, I have fairly good confidence that somebody in the Philippian church would be able to relate with you. But just imagine with me for a moment. Let's do a little thought here. This is just just crazy form of imagination here. Imagine that when you woke up this morning... You didn't wake up in the town of Shadron. You actually woke up in the first century Roman colony of Philippi. Okay? Just, just, just suspend your disbelief here. It's still Sunday, so it's still the Lord's Day. So you, gotta, you get up and you put on your tunic and you get yourself ready and, and you set out to the home of one of the wealthier church members. There's no... There's no church buildings at this time. They're meeting in large, like a, a large Roman villa, and you're going to gather. And you don't feel particularly special this morning. You don't feel any, you know, anything particularly special. You just woke up as the same day as you did before, right? The same, maybe if you're older, same, same aches and pains, same struggles in this, in this world of decay. Maybe you're reminded this morning you know, of that, that besetting sin that you've just been struggling with. You don't feel a lot of peace. Maybe, or maybe you got up and you're a little bit fearful about the future. You know, after all, there's been some disruptions in the area. Some Christians are being persecuted in this area. Some, some Christians are, it's the time of Nero, right? So this is time, their Christians are being persecuted and they're even being thrown in jail for their faith. Uh, in fact, one of your relatives, a dear cousin who, who shared the gospel with you is actually in jail because your cousin was in the, pub, in the public square, and he said, and was preaching, he said, Jesus is Lord. And he got arrested for um, 
for speaking against the emperor because in, in Roman-occupied Philippi, where Caesar is Lord, only Caesar is Lord, to say that somebody else is Lord, that's, that's insurrection. And so you're going to church, but you're, your cousin's in jail for saying that Jesus is Lord. And so you're free, but you're, you're cautious as you're, you're going to your gathering. Or maybe you're pondering that parchment that these, these law-following Jewish teachers dropped by your house the other day, where they sat, you know, you're, and you're remembering when they sat down with you that whole afternoon, and they're, they're, they're trying to explain to you and trying to convince you that you, by thinking that you're only saved by the grace of Christ, you're actually neglecting the law. And, and they're pretty convincing because they're saying to you things like, the, the law is from God, right? This is God's law. What are, you, what are you saying about God's law if you only believe in Jesus? You might be missing it. You might, you know, God gave us the law. Why would the law still not matter? That was something that was going on in, in Philippi. So maybe, you know, that thought enters your mind and you're a little puzzled. You believe in Jesus, but you don't have these answers. You, you don't have the biblical knowledge to answer all their questions. And so that thought enters your mind. Or maybe you're just a dreading attending church because, you know, <coughs> that person, maybe it's a he or maybe it's a she, that person is going to be there and you had a disagreement with them and, and you haven't been able to get along. And so, you know, Man, what if they are right at the front door when I walk in? And that thought comes into your mind and your heart starts to race and you get filled with anxiety. All you can think about is that disagreement, that, that argument. They don't get it. They don't get it. We're, we're, you know, we're having a, a disagreement and you haven't reconciled and so you're having anxiety that morning. Whatever's going on, you don't feel super. You don't feel like a super Christian. However, so you enter the church and there's a buzz in the air and it's always good to be together. It's always good to be together on the Lord's Day as Christians, but there's a, there's a, there's a unique buzz this morning and it's, it's then that you hear the news that the church has received a letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul, who you remember, you, you, you've maybe never met him before, but, but you remember how the gospel came to your town because of this guy. And you can actually see Clement. He's over there, and he is, uh, he's got the parchment in his hand. And so there's a buzz in the church. What, has, what is Paul, what, what's he going to say to us? What news is he going to bring? And so then you, do, you pray, and you sing a little bit, and then Clement stands up. And he unrolls or opens this parchment and he begins to read Paul's letter for everybody to hear. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. What did he just say? He can't be speaking about me, right? Because I don't, 
Why would he be thankful? But he did say you all. So he must mean including me in, in some way. When he prays and he thinks of me, what does he do? He thanks God for me. I don't feel special this morning. But Paul's thanking God for me. Clement keeps going on. I pray to God with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, from the very beginning, you've been with me, we've been together. And you think, well, I guess, yeah, we're, we're partners. I didn't really think about it that way. I do love Jesus, and I, and I want to make him known in this town but I didn't think of myself. We also sent some money to you, Paul. Like that, That's something that happened because we heard that you'd been thrown in prison and stuff. But I didn't think that I'm a partner with you. Um, in, you know, Paul, you saw Jesus with your own eyes. I, I've kind of always considered myself a second-hander in the gospel. Uh, you know, you've, you, you're on a... But, you, but, but Paul says, I'm not simply a second-hander. I'm a partner with him. We're working together. We're... The same Jesus that he believes in, I believe in, and we're working together. That's encouraging. The gospel which saved Paul, it's the same gospel that's saving me, and we're partnering in it. And then Clement keeps going on. I'm joyful and thankful to God for you because you're partners with me in sharing and proclaiming Jesus. And then he says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What did he just say? He said that Jesus, I believe in Christ, God in Christ is going to make sure that I'm still a Christian to the end. Still secure in Jesus, all the way to the day that Jesus returns. For me to see my Lord, the one that I believe in, for me to see him face to face, God is going to make sure that happens. I'm not going to turn away from him. I don't see the future. I can't see the future. I'm not prophetic. But he's sure that God is going to hold me to the end. It's too good to be true, almost. I don't feel that great this morning, Paul. You've got to be, you've got to be talking about somebody else. Clement keeps going on. It's right for me to feel this way. This is verse seven. It's right for me to feel this way. So, ah, right there. Paul is questioning whether or not he should feel that way about me. But he concludes, he says, it is right for me to feel this way. Should I feel this way about him? Yeah, I should feel about the, I should feel thankful to God at the thought of you, jumping with joy in my prayers for you, certain of your security because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then he reads verse eight, for, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. It's too much. So, so he just called, I'm listening to this, and he, and he just called God himself as Paul's witness to declare that he loves me so much that when he loves me, that love 
with which he loves me is not a love coming from human Paul. It's not a love coming from, from the flesh of Paul. It is a love which comes from the very love of Jesus for Paul, for me. The love of Christ which went to the cross and died. The love of Christ who took on my sin on the cross, died and is raised. That's that kind of love that Jesus has for Paul is flowing out of Paul's heart in genuine, Christ-shaped affection for me. In other words, the love that he's loving me, he, when he's thinking of loving me, he's loving me with the love that Jesus loved him. And then Clement closes with this, with this petition. He keeps going on. It's, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. In other words, the love with which I have displayed by partnering with, with Paul in the gospel, the love that Paul has witnessed in me, Paul asks God that my love will grow with knowledge and discernment. He wants it to be a discerning love, a love based on knowledge not a love is love kind of love, not a love defined by my own feelings kind of love, a love based on truth kind of love, a love that is shaped by Christ's love kind of love. And he closes, why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And where does it come from? It comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the way that we are called in Christ to feel about ourselves, to believe, and to feel about one another to think and feel about one another in the mess and in the turmoil and in the toil this is the reality of who you are in Christ and this is the way that you and I should treat other Christians there's three quick factors that make Paul feel this way he doesn't ground this just on his own superstition, but on rock-solid realities. There's three factors that make him feel this way, just really quickly. And none of, just, just to be, be clear and upfront, none of them have to do, none of them are based on how special the Philippian Christians are in their own abilities. It's all based on the work that God has done in them. First is the reality, which Paul calls the gospel. So the first factor is we need to have a proper understanding of the gospel or the loving work of Jesus in order to understand how Paul can feel this way. How is this, thing, how is this true? The gospel is not an abstract concept to Paul. It's not um, an abstract, you know, the idea of Jesus. In other words, Paul, he can't communicate the gospel without communicating the real tangible, you know, it's not just a thought to think about, but it's, it's something that's real and it's tangible and it's happened to me. That love, it's not something that's theoretical. It actually happened. Love of Christ actually shown to me. 
the work that Jesus did actually applied to me. It's not just something theoretical. It's something he believes with his whole heart. Jesus, who he is and what he has done in Paul is an absolute reality. And it's even true for those who've never physically seen Jesus, like everyone here and like everybody in Philippi. Sometimes in Christianity, there's attempts to rebrand things, you know, the gospel, I think, is still a really good word to use because it's a Bible word. It doesn't need rebranding, but I think we need to define it. There's two things that this passage shows us about the gospel. First, the gospel is about work. Not your work, not my work. In the gospel, God in Christ did real, tangible work for you. If your faith is in Christ Jesus, he did something for you. He did something in you. It's not specifically alluded to in this passage, but the work he did was that he took anything that would condemn you before God, your sin, your rebellion, he took that and he put it on his shoulders and he paid for it on the cross. His body, his sin, your sin on his shoulders, he did a real work. And second, the gospel is about love. The gospel is about work. The gospel is about, about a loving work. Just as, just as sure as you can be sure that Jesus did the work on the cross, you can be confident that when Jesus went to the cross and died for you, he went there out of love. Not only out of love, but as far as you relate to Christ, you see love. And you see that in verse 8, the affection. He calls it the affection of Jesus. Real, lasting love happened in the gospel message. In the life and death and resurrection of Christ, do not miss the love of God in Christ in the gospel. The gospel is the loving work of Christ in you, for you, if if your faith is in him. If you forget, this is very, this is important. If you forget that the gospel is about God loving you, you will not understand why Paul loves these people as he does. And you will not understand, and I will not understand why I'm called to love other people. If I don't see that that was love, I'm not gonna love other people. Number two, the, fact, the second thing that, that we, we've got to understand, we need a proper understanding of what, me, what it means to partner in the gospel. Because he says it two different ways. He says your partner's, in verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And, and later on, I think in, 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 in sort of a restating it, he says, you're partakers with me of grace. Two different ways of describing what it means to partner in the gospel. All it takes to partner in the gospel is for one person who has been overcome by the loving work of Jesus to stand beside by, an, with, by another person who has been overcome by the loving work of Jesus and you work together out of love to make Jesus known. That's gospel partnership. It should happen in the church because we are called to be we're the, the people of God. It can happen when you go share anytime. There's at least two people who love Jesus we're working together with, with the express goal of making this Christ known. 
In the case of Philippians, when Paul was going through a rough patch, it can, it can be expressed in a lot of different ways. Paul's going through a rough, rough patch. He, he calls it imprisonment, real imprisonment, right? In verse 7, when Paul was going through it, the Philippians, they were with him. And we'll see later on that not everybody was with Paul, but they were with him. They stuck with him. They sent him some money. But not, it's not only that. They're in Philippi. Paul's most likely in Rome right now in prison. But it's the same gospel they're proclaiming together, though they're separate. Same Jesus, we're not adding to this message. Same Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. They're partnering together in the gospel, even in suffering. Partnering together to make Christ known. Gospel partnership is working together to promote, to make much of the loving work of Christ so that others would know Christ. And the third factor, we need to have a proper understanding of what it means to be saved. So much of the American church has an improper understanding of what it means to be saved. And Paul gives us a very thorough, I think, in this passage, a good understanding of what it means to be saved. Saved from Paul, first, as you can see in verse 2, though the word is saints, it means to be holy in Christ. Holy in Christ. Not holy in yourself. Holy because of you're bringing something to God and he's therefore making you holy. Holy by faith. Holy because by the work of Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. Saved for Paul means to be loved by Christ. And we talked about that. The affection of Christ is shown toward me and I see it. I see that the cross is not condemnation. It is for me life and breath and everything. It's love. It's to be loved by Christ. That's what it means to be saved. Saved for Paul means to be kept. By the work of God in you for Christ. Verse 6. What an encouraging statement. God began a good work and God is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's what it means to be saved. Kept, or began and kept. Saved for Paul means also to be growing in love by the work of God. You can see in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Saved means to be growing in love by the work of God. And saved means to be completed. To be completed by Christ for the day of Christ. Notice that in verses 10 through 11. May your love abound so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And where does it come from? It comes through Jesus Christ. And finally, saved for Paul means that your life, your salvation, your endurance, your completion is an offering which glorifies, which makes much of, which praises God himself. That's what it means to be saved. Why does Paul want them to be pure and blameless? Look at the, the verse, verse 11. 
Why does he want them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? Where is it going? It is for the glory and the praise of God. So just as he thanks God for what's happened in them in the beginning, he ends it with an acknowledgement and a recognition that all of this, all of this is going back to God, his glory. They're not going to look at me and say, wow, that's a great Christian. They're going to see God glorified in a changed life. To be saved is to have God in Christ begin a good work in you and ensure by his own power that on the day or at the return of Jesus, because Jesus is coming back, you are still and forever his to the glory and praise of God. If you see what the gospel is, if you see and believe the loving work of Christ, and that's yours by faith. Yes, that's, that's mine. You should partner in it. We should partner in it. That is the outflow of the, 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 the work of salvation. We should partner in the gospel. How should partners in the gospel feel about one another? How should those who by faith are saved and secure to the very end So if he's done this work in me, how should I view others who I believe if he's saving me and they're believing in Jesus, he's doing the same work in them. How should I see one another? I should be thankful to God at the very thought of that Christian, adamantly affectionate, certain of their security, going to God for their growth, praying, confident that they will be complete, all for the glory of God. We're thankful to God because it's from God that any gospel partnership could ever happen. It ain't going to happen if it ain't from God. The good work of salvation expressed by our belief in the gospel was begun by God himself. And so, of course, we should thank him. Thank him for any fruit you see. Thank him for the work that he is doing. And we are adamant in our affection for one another because we've been loved so much. I'm loved. I know he loved me. If he's not loving me, I'm not loved. I'm, I don't have anything. Jesus yearned for us as he breathed his last on the cross. And so every time we think of Jesus, his, his immense sacrificial love for us, we cannot but look at the world, at, 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 at the world through the lens of Christ. So this means that when, when you see other people who have seen Jesus and believed in Jesus, we offer them a unique, joyful affection that affirms them in the love which Jesus has, has given them. It is right for us to do this because we know that we've been loved by Jesus. So when we see others that believe the gospel, we can look to them and we look to them with affection. The love that Christ showed us. We're certain of the security of fellow saints because we know that for those who trust in Jesus by faith, the redeeming love of Christ does not have limits. No height, no depth will separate us from his love. So we encourage one another to that end. He will keep you. He will finish the work. Don't look to yourself to finish the work. He will finish the work. 
And yet our confidence doesn't create passivity or laziness. We, we keep petitioning to God. We keep going and going and going and going and going to God that he would bring the growth, that he would do the work on the behalf of other believers, as Paul is doing here, that God will bring about a growth, a fruit, a good work that God began, that he will accomplish it. And we're confident in all this, that God will complete it to the end. This is why even in our prayers to God for one another, we are confident that we will be complete. That's why Paul says, this fruit of righteousness, this fruit of righteousness that I pray God will give to you is gonna come through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, we'll be ready. Filled with the fruit that Jesus himself has produced in us. And as we live as partners with these feelings, these desires for one another, the ultimate goal in our lives, in our bodies, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation of life, no matter how much I feel, we pray that God will get the glory. All to the praise and glory of his grace. God is the one who starts and secures us to the end. If my eyes are on Jesus, his loving work, this is how we are called to not only see ourselves in the light of what Christ has done, but to view um, others in Christ. We partner together, we work together, we desire one another to grow. It's a successful life victorious life in Christ in the loving work of Christ a couple questions just to meditate on as, as we go do you see that in Christ you have everything that you will ever need and if you see that are you and I call this upon myself and upon you am I working am I partnering in this gospel with the saints do I see my life as an opportunity to make, to work with other believers, to make this Jesus known. And if I'm not, what am I missing out on if I'm not partnering in this gospel together? Let's pray. All praise and glory to you who sit above all things, who is who dwells in unapproachable light. God, you are God of gods, light of light. Anything that we are, any love that we may have, it is from you, God. May you work in us to be secure in the work that Christ has done and may that outpour to others, specifically to other saints, so that we may do this life together and make Christ known.